Hey, y'all, Sam Sanders here in my apartment going through all of the streaming whatever services I pay for every month. I pay for Hulu. I pay for the extra Hulu thing where you get, like, live TV on it. I pay for Amazon Prime Video. I pay for Netflix. I pay for the fastest high-speed Internet to watch all of those things. But you know what? When I add it all up, I realize I listen to public radio more than I watch any of those streaming platforms combined. And here's the thing. Public radio, unlike all those other things, we don't send you a bill every month. All we do is every now and then ask you to give. So I'm doing that now. If you go right now to donate.npr.org slash Sam, you can give and support the original streaming service, Public Radio. Your donation helps local stations across the country. Also helps shows like this keep coming at you with fresh, new, hot content. Go to donate.npr.org slash Sam. Thank you. Liz is here. I'm going to bring her in. My guest today is worried about men. I am going to be talking about men. I think, um, and a book I wrote about them. Yes, she's worried about toxic masculinity, though she hates that phrase. But she's worried about something bigger, the way our politics and our cultural conversation today about men actually leaves men behind. So she is trying to bring men into that conversation. And she is self-declared team men. <laughs> it is a hard team to stand for, but I'm here to be on your team, actually. Hopefully, I'm doing a good job of it. I am Sam Sanders. You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. Today on the show, Liz Plank discusses her new book, For the Love of Men, a new vision for mindful masculinity. You hearing that, uh, I am hearing it. Yeah, can she hear me? You can. Yeah, hi. Hey, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Pretty good. Liz Plank has been working on this stuff for a while. She covers gender and politics at Vox Media, and she has an advanced degree in gender studies. In her book, Liz says she wanted to examine modern masculinity and how it can help or hurt all of us. Her research and reporting for the book includes interviews with dozens of men about all aspects of their gender. And Liz told me writing this book actually changed her outlook on feminism. This is a very different conversation than you may be used to hearing about gender and politics in a good way. As a warning, we do touch on some adult themes in this conversation. All right, with that, here is my chat with Liz Plank. Enjoy. Where in Canada are you from? I'm from uh, Montreal. Yeah. Y'all yeah. with those bagels. Yes. Listen. They're good. What's the Have place you, called? Uh, Saint-Viata. Yes. Or, or uh, yeah, that's the best both. one. I've been to both of them. Ooh. I was out there, actually, because oh. like two years ago, three years ago, I had to go to a friend's wedding in Maine. And oh, I was wow. like, if I'm going all the way up there, we're about to have some detours and get some food. <laughs> yes. And so I stopped through Montreal for a bit. And it was during Jazz Fest, but it also was like a 100-degree heat wave. Oh, God. But yeah, that's tough. I think I ate about three dozen of those bagels yes. in three days. Yeah. it's it's They're like donuts. I don't think don't, one donut is a serving. I think we've <laughs> like, we should stop with that nonsense. Uh-huh. It's the same thing with those bagels. When you get them when they're hot, uh-huh. it's it's like you've, nev- you've oh, never yeah. tasted something like that. It's yeah, magical. It's, you've, never, you've never experienced something. That's and you do so that thing where... Where you'd like look around to everyone and be like, have you experienced this too? Yeah, 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 Do you yeah, know yeah. what's happening yes. right now? <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness, yeah. 
Uh, and I actually, I mean, I basically cheat on them all the time with New York bagels. Oh, New York I appreciate New York bagels for a different they're reason. They're too big. It's too much bread. I know. It's a lot. Yes. It's a, that's why I like it, though. It gives me permission to, because that's actually probably the right serving. I mean, it's not. It's wrong. <laughs> it's like it's 10 pieces of bread, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, but I, I love them. Um, I love I'm such it. a big fan of yours. I'm so, I was so excited. Oh, my when, goodness. Um, yeah. I, I, I knew I was coming on. I'm um, happy to have this I conversation. Love I love yeah. what you're doing. And, Thank you. You know, it's funny talking about being a Canadian in America it kind of leads me to a question I was going to ask later but I might as well ask now yeah. in thinking about writing about men and talking mm-hmm. about men and and men and the culture of men and masculinity how much of that changed for you when you left Canada and came to America I think that there's a lot of differences okay. b- between Canada and the United States. Um, and the differences is, are the reasons why I, I, I came here, right? So mm. I actually worked for a nonprofit organization called the Feminist Majority Foundation in mm-hmm. D.C. And I remember seeing that in the U.S. abortion had not been – abortion was still on the table as an issue. Mm. And that I remember – being a big turning point for me to realize how how important I felt like it was that I actually stayed in the United States really and that it it would be a really important place to to have a conversation around feminism and mm. yeah ha- that I could make an impact um and and, and that I and, and I loved America I like always felt secretly good American. to hear good to hear um, <laughs> I, it's very weird I was always kind of the weird one out in my family but I but yeah I just all I did I, I grew up French Canadian but mm-hmm. I grew my dad spoke English and but I went to school in French and everything but I watched the Fresh Prince of Bel Air like every yes. day like that's how I learned English. I love truly. it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice a big and this is uh, this is such a generic question but I'm going to ask you anyway. Yeah. What is the biggest difference you've noticed between American men and their view of masculinity and Canadian men, or even French Canadian men? Yeah, I. So I think that there are many differences. Yeah. I do think that we uh, over-exaggerate them. Right? Okay. So okay. I have had many conversations, uh, particularly with men, not just in Canada, but also men who live in the UK mm-hmm. or men who are, yeah, in certain parts of Europe. And they will say, well, American masculinity, mm. you know, is, is, is very different. And mm. yes, America is <laughs> built on a culture, I mean, in, of uh, like a Hollywood culture, right, of uh, an idealized form of masculinity that's very based in I don't know superhero movies and yeah. and and there's well, a lot our of violence. origin story like, is almost a superhero movie I agree like the founding fathers are like the original yes. Marvel comic universe <laughs> yes absolutely and and the way that guns obviously are a really important part of American culture or some you know Americans culture mm-hmm. is 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 also intrinsically related to masculinity mm. in so many different ways yeah um so so I I do think that America is more extreme always right America <laughs> never does things halfway That's right. uh, and so <laughs> when it comes to masculinity we identify here in the United States with I think a, an extreme version of what that is yeah but at the same time this is a problem everywhere mm-hmm. um, and there are ideals of masculinity that need to be challenged mm-hmm. in, you know, Montreal as there are here in uh, the United States, yeah. as there are, you know, in Iceland and in Denmark, right? Even in these feminist utopias, basically. Yeah. There's a dearth of conversation around yeah. masculinity totally. there, too. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, give our American or international listeners kind of an elevator pitch for your book, For the Love of 
men. Yeah. Like if you had to, if you had to describe this book, sum it up in like thirty seconds. Ooh. Go. Um, <laughs> basically, this book is a love letter to men. Uh, it is a feminist book that is really interested in men's experience of their gender and that views masculinity not as the problem but as the solution mm. to a lot of the world's biggest problems. Okay. When did you decide that you wanted to write this book? Was there a moment? Because, like, there is always a lot of writing about feminism mm. in the world. Yeah. But not a lot of folks are writing a book about these ideals and how to talk about this stuff specifically for men. Yeah. It feels a bit unique. And so I'm wondering, like, what is the creation story of this book for you? Yeah. I, I mean, I I am very interested in impact. Mm. And I was basically working in academia. I was a research assistant. Um, I was also an activist. So I would, you know, be in many different kinds of groups. And I loved these feminist spaces, these feminist conferences, women in the world, right? These huge gatherings Mm -hmm. that were focused on gender equality, on building the world that we all knew Mm -hmm. um, was possible. But one thing that I started to notice is that in those rooms, there were these incredible conversations, Mm -hmm. but half of us were missing. And Mm. half of us were not only not in the room, but also not on stage. And there was this predominant, often view in these spaces that men could show up and men should show up. But they better shut up. But they better. Exactly. (laughs) And I have heard that word verbatim. Yeah. It it is verbatim. Show up and shut up. Uh Uh-huh. And And then we'll like applaud you at the end for sitting still. Yes. And then give you a high five and say, so go tell all the guys. Um, (laughs) And then did that work? Uh, No. Yeah. It feels so much like these conversations about how to fix racism and you just talk to people of color and you're kind of like um you're not the problem (laughs) like like, (laughs) right and and it's frustrating because it's also taxing right Mm -hmm. and and we know this for writers of color who are always expected to rise to to write about race expected to like create their own freedom from their own oppression yes yeah that is exactly right and that doesn't work. Uh. And it doesn't work for, for racial issues. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work for gender issues. Mm. And I think that it's especially important in terms of gender mm. that we talk about how the patriarchy or how however you want to call it, the system mm-hmm. that tells us that women must act a certain way and men must act a certain way. Those systems really hurt women in several different ways. Mm. And I think that we have a lot of we, – we have a big conversation about that that's pretty mainstream. Mm-hmm. We have Beyonce talking about feminism, right? Mm-hmm. We have uh, our, our business leaders who are now comfortable. We have Netflix documentaries. We have all kinds of different ways. We have a whole – Uh, shelf in libraries, right? There are so many resources and spaces for us to talk about how girls can break free from that system. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I became obsessed with was why we weren't talking about how this system was bad for boys too. Mm. It was all as if in some of these spaces, we just accepted that men were trash. 
Yeah. And, and I'm saying that as a, again, a verbatim quote, right? That <laughs> all men are just evil and all mm-hmm. men just want to control women. And we have to, women have to speak up. Women have to empower themselves. Mm-hmm. Women have to do all these changes and men just have to get on board. Yes. And of course, some of that is true. There are some <laughs> men out there and there are some, you know, people out there yeah. who are, w- 1% of the population wants the world to be a worse place than it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, But 99% of, 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 of people just want to do the right thing exactly. and want to live in a better world. Yeah. And I think that we were starting from such a negative framing mm-hmm. that, that, of course, men were yeah. not showing up. Yeah. And then what's worse is what I think that we're seeing and that I find extremely dangerous, which is the backlash against feminism. All right, time for a break. When we come back, the surprising, actual, quantifiable tolls that masculinity takes on men. BRB. Support for It's Been a Minute and the following message come from Green from Amex. A little pep talk goes a long way. Whether it's over a big old plate of comfort food or a comfortable drive out of town with your besties, Green from Amex can help cheer you on with three times points on restaurants and travel, including car rentals. It's built around your lifestyle so you can keep doing you with an extra boost of confidence. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Green from Amex. Terms apply. NPR's Life Kit wants to help you get through that huge stack of unread books on your nightstand. You know, the one that's so tall it might fall over. We're helping you read more this year, on your commute, or even in the mornings. New episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Listen and subscribe to Life Kit. I had never thought about it this way before, but you lay out pretty early in your book that, you know, some of the tolls of masculinity on men are quantifiable. You have one example from the book where you say men spend on average like X number of hours driving further than they need to because they (laughs) refuse to ask for directions. How many hours was it? You like out a number. I can't even remember. I have to look it up. I think it's it's in an amount of miles. Yeah. It's like thousands of miles. Thousands of miles in every man's life spent driving the wrong way Mm -hmm. because they're too stubborn to ask for direction. It's like there are tangible costs to the ways that masculinity hurts men. Hypermasculinity yeah. hurts men. In fact, yeah. you write in the first line of your book, or like one of the first lines of your book, you say, quote, there is no greater threat to humankind than our current definition of masculinity. Yeah. And you point out that like 99% of school shooters are men, yeah. that women serving in uniforms have a higher likelihood of being assaulted by a fellow mm-hmm. soldier than being killed by enemy fire. Yeah. I don't usually see the framing of masculinity be this real and specific why do you think this conversation isn't being framed in this way and it's i don't know being framed in a much more emotional touchy-feely purely emotional kind of way yeah i actually don't know the answer to that Mm. i it it makes me very it made me very angry to come across all of this data mm. when i had the privilege of having a masters degree in gender <laughs> you and social policy this data. Yeah. and i didn't know those things mm. i again these gender studies classes were mostly filled by with there were two guys at the back of the class and one of the guys just wanted to get laid or whatever right and i'm not <laughs> saying i'm not generalizing it's like this is anecdotal evidence but i know mm-hmm. that it's common um one guy who's not really interested in being there but he's you know in it for whatever and then there's one guy who's genuinely interested and then when you look at the syllabus you can't be that surprised that men are not in, or don't feel implicated 
and don't think that they have a gender when I never was assigned a book about masculinity. Mm -hmm. I was in situations where I would be uh, consulting, for example, with uh, like a Western government about uh, gender equality initiatives. And then we're talking about domestic violence. We're talking about sexual violence. We're talking about all of these different issues that girls are facing. And at one point, I'm like, what, what about your programs for the boys mm. so that the boys don't do that? It seems like yeah. the, <laughs> like changing how the girls feel yeah. and, 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 and what they do um, Actually, it's kind of like victim blaming, right? Oh, to, yeah. To, to expect like, that women. You can tell women to wear longer yes. skirts as long as you want Great. to. Yeah, but and if respect the men themselves. are the ones yes. that are abusing the women, shouldn't yeah. they be talked to as well? Yes. It's such a weird way to fix a problem. Mm. So I, I just, I think that we, to your point, we do that with race. We do that with um, LGBTQ issues. Mm. We are so individual. Mm -hmm. We're living in such an individualized culture mm -hmm. where we think that um, we are not connected. Mm -hmm. When we have large swaths of our of our population who, for example, uh, you know, an example that I lay out in the book in the work chapter, many men are losing their jobs at a faster rate than women. Mm. And we are seeing industries that are more male dominated. Coal mining is a perfect example. Um, those away. industries are, yeah, are, are really faltering or some of these industries are moving abroad. And so if you don't acknowledge what that does to an entire group of people, mm -hmm. especially a group of people whose identity is through being a provider, mm -hmm. is, is, is around their work identity. For many men, the first thing when I would ask them, what does it mean to be a man? Just to provide. They would say provide. Yeah. And uh, when we, again, coming back to the individualist capitalistic society that we live in, that providing is mm -hmm. has a money it, it's it, it's a dollar sign it's mm -hmm. providing we, we don't see providing you know a, a parent who's at home taking care of their children who's making food who's literally feeding them mm -hmm. uh the, the person making the chicken is not a provider the person who buys the chicken <laughs> at the grocery store is the provider and so yeah we have to see how we are all connected in our society we have to see how power structures uh usually do not benefit most of us mm -hmm. and we've spent a lot of time talking about the power structure where women are at the bottom and men are at the top. And we have not paid any attention to the power structure when we're only looking at men. Well, and like I was thinking about you in this interview in this book over the weekend mm. because I had like my Saturday was busy. I had to go here, then I had to go there, then I was going to end up at a concert, then I was going to end up somewhere else. And I needed to like bring my phone charger, some gum, my chapstick, <laughs> my this, my that. And I yeah. was like, you know what I could do is just take my little the tote bag I bring to the gym, mm. just stick that stuff in there and go about your day. Yeah. And then for a second I was like, well, does it gonna look like a purse? What? And then I was like, Sam, wow. Sam, wow. carry your stuff, live your wow. life. What are you doing? Isn't and it's that... these small things, wow. you know, yeah. like the the ways in which. Yeah. And listen, I. I should be less tuned in to those tenets of masculinity because in so many ways I'm not the default and I should mm. just not care. But it's so ingrained in so many yeah. men. And like it was yeah. going to lead me to have a bad day had yes. I not brought that darn tote bag. Yes. My phone would have died at two o'clock. I wouldn't have a place for my leftover chicken nuggets. Like literally <laughs> the tote bag symbolized so much more in that moment, if, if that makes sense. It is so interesting because it also ties into there is actual research that I lay out in the book about the gender recycling gap. Really? Did you know that men 
recycle less than women. I didn't and know, that but it, it totally is, checks out. <laughs> it does, right? And it's actually intrinsically related to tote bags. So tote really? bags, women and men, basically in this one study that I that I cite, um, will yeah associate tote bags, right? Mm. A tote bag meaning that like when you go to the grocery store, you're going to bring a tote bag so that you don't have to use a plastic bag. Exactly. It's a reusable bag, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and, and you can put your leftover chicken nuggets in there, yeah. uh, whatever you want. But but yes, men and women, I basically associate that with more feminine behavior. So men are like gen- to use it. Exactly. Wow. And, and recycling generally as well. Oh my goodness. And so that just to me speaks to two things, which is to your point, how it is ingrained in the mm-hmm. smallest but most sort of intrusive and mm-hmm. disruptive ways yeah. um, that, that that are largely invisible because that's just the way things are. And we don't inquire. We're not curious about masculinity in the way that we are curious about femininity. Yeah. Um, and the second part is that these invisible small uh, rituals, right, mm-hmm. can have grave consequences. It adds up. Yes. It adds up. Yeah. Why, one of the phrases that you don't really use in the book, and you've talked about this, mm-hmm. uh, is the phrase toxic masculinity. Yeah. Why not? Everyone's using it. I know. And that's why I didn't want to do it. Yeah. It's like I have to be a hipster about everything. Um, <laughs> I, you know what, this was, yeah, 10 days before my, my book was going to print. I basically emailed my editor and was and, and said, I have to take it out. And we, really? we can't have it in anywhere in the book. And, in the, uh, and it is a few times in the book because it's hard to... N- give a solution to a problem you're not naming mm-hmm. um, or, or or that, you know, I, I basically I use the term idealized masculinity throughout mm-hmm. the book as much as I could mm-hmm. because I just think that's a better reflection of what the term r- really means and, mm-hmm. I, and, and, and what the problem is and who the responsibility of the problem rests on yeah. and that this is a collective problem. Mm-hmm. And what I found really useful, especially with men who had never thought about this stuff, is to not even bring up the term masculinity, hmm. maybe not even bring up the term gender. The words that we use matter and they the do. way that we market our message matters. And I wish that progressives, this is going to be my rant, it's going to end it. now because do I it. don't want to go on it. I love a but, good rant. It's good audio. I, well, <laughs> I just think that progressives, we think we're right. And that's all. It doesn't matter how you say it. It doesn't matter, who, you know, uh, what the message looks like. It's right. And that's why we're like, we have like a moral superiority problem. Oh, yeah. Where well, we, and, and yeah. And like sometimes yeah. it comes across as not just progressives saying they're right. Progressives saying they're righter than you and you yes. are maybe a little bit stupid. Yes. And yes, we're right and we're superior. And if you don't get it, you're just dumb. Mm. And I think Mm. that is so, um, it is so egotistical. Well, this is the thing. Like maybe if you really want to achieve what you want to achieve politically, and this is for either side, all the sides, you might have to be nice to someone you don't like. Yeah. And you might have to talk with them. Yeah. With the assumption that they could be your intellectual equal. Yes. And that you may not like your experience in the world is is not is, theirs is, is not theirs. <laughs> yes. and that yes. doesn't mean yours is better, mm-hmm. theirs is better. Mm-hmm. It just means it's different. Yes, but ultimately, you care about the same stuff. People we hate to hear. All, you know, people hate to hear that. You know, people. Oh, this of end, course this they end, do. The, they the want to cancel think culture. Oh my goodness! Yeah. 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 But you all, you have so much. I mean, the human gene pool, right? We're like ninety nine percent. This like, mm-hmm. and 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 that's the the same thing with women and men, right? And that's the thing that people really have a problem with, which is 
that gender is kind of made up, you know, mm. and that, yes, women and men are different. I'm not I'm not you know, saying that there's no uh, biological differences. There are. But they're not as important as you think they are. Mm. And we don't need to organize our entire society based around these these, uh, you know, giving importance to these differences. We don't separate, you know, who how we go to the bathroom based on earlobe length or, <laughs> again, eye color. Right. We've seen these social experiments when yeah. you do it to kids. And yeah. and it's. It's ridiculous. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, and and even when we talk about when I talk about the, you know, sex as a spectrum, which it is in the animal kingdom and in science um, Mm -hmm. and people will say, well, intersex people are just, you know, one percent of the it doesn't even count. I'm like, you know, that's the percentage of redheads. That's like saying we can only have two uh, hair colors, Um, your dark hair or your or your blonde hair. And Uh. that and that's it. And redheads just don't like that's just like an anomaly. That would be such a weird thing. They can't use our bathrooms. Those redheads. Exactly. (laughs) They're just like they we don't need to make a separate. We don't need to acknowledge them as an actual category that actually challenges the binary that we've made up that actually is not rooted in any kind of science. (laughs) Like it's just but it freaks people out. It does. And it freaks people out because then it's like, well, if I don't have my category, if I don't have that that thing mm-hmm. that, you know, is my – then what do I have? Exactly. And, and I think that would force people to see that how connected they are to each yeah. other. Time for one more break. In a minute, Liz interviewed a ton of men for this book. She tells me the story of the interview that was the most difficult. BRB. Support for It's Been a Minute and the following message comes from Today Ticks. Use Today Ticks to find theater and arts tickets for the night or for months in advance. With Today Ticks, getting tickets is a fast, easy process. With a constantly updated list of performances, from theater and arts to comedy and opera, you'll discover both the things you weren't looking for and the shows you already know you'll love. Try Today Ticks now by going to todayticks.com slash minute and use promo code MINUTE to get $10 off your first purchase. Hey, y'all, before we get back to the show, I want to remind you one more time of how you can keep this show coming to you every week by supporting the work of your local NPR member station. To do that, go to donate.npr.org slash Sam. Or just text the word SAM to the number 49648. We'll send you a text message with a link where you can find your local station and make your contribution. Message and data rates may apply. You can visit npr.org slash SMS terms for privacy and text message terms. So many of the men who need to read this book Mm. might not. Yeah. What are the quick and dirty three things (laughs) they can just do right now in their everyday life to start to question masculinity, to start to overcome the binds of masculinity? Like three things all men can do every day. Yeah, I, that's a great question. That's a that's an amazing question, and I think that the best way for me to un- for me to explain it, and mm-hmm. I think it's in the book, but it was explained to me by one of the psychologists who did the APA guidelines for men. Mm-hmm. You know, we for now only a few months. Um, now there are actual guidelines for men mm-hmm. doing therapy, basically. Oh wow! Uh, before that, there was guidelines for how therapists should be dealing with women as a group, LGBTQ individuals, aging populations. There was nothing about nothing men. Nothing for men. As if, yeah, men, being a man is just the default, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're just, there's, you're not a socialized in any kind of way to act a certain way. Uh-huh. Um, and there's no stereotypes around that. So, of course, there are, and and it's actually a huge barrier, oh, yeah. I, I believe, to men seeking therapy. Listen, is that, me, I, I got some therapy stories for you. Oh, First time I, I cried in therapy, 
I had to talk about how embarrassed I was to cry in front of my therapist. Wow. That took up like that took up time in the session. <laughs> wow. I, but like this is the thing like men are just bringing extra baggage or, or different baggage. I should did say. Did you and what did your therapist say? Oh, uh, he he's he's solid. He's a pro. He's good. But like wow. he Oh gosh, we're talking. You know what he did? You know what he did? That sucker. He talked about my mama, and they, they were talking always, about my yeah, mother, and then, course. and then it was waterworks. And then as oh. I'm crying, I like go, oh my god, I can't believe I'm crying in this therapy. That's wow. I'm such a stereo. I'm such a cliche. Wow. I couldn't even let myself be present in the moment. And of course, he's like, hey, wow. you know, it's fine. This thing happens as you mm. were. It's okay. But like, I had to stop and like yeah. manify that moment. I think that those moments can also be really hard, especially for for men because and anyone but men particularly because they've been told that they're just men and they're yeah. not they don't have a gender. They don't have it. Right. It's like mm-hmm. white people being told that, yeah, you have a race. You're and like, like actually, yeah, whiteness is a thing. And in the way that it was expressed, you know, that to me by the psychologist yeah. is that gender is like a Swiss army knife. Mm. That it's not about, you know, inquiring masculinity and inquiring how how gender operates in your life is not about taking away some of the tools. It's not about saying, Mm. well, men can't do this anymore. Uh, Mm. And I think that's the problem with the conversation we're in right now. And that's what I'm trying to disrupt with this book. I I don't think it needs to start with what you can't do. I think it needs to start with what you can do. Mm. And in order to make this a conversation about freedom, which I believe it is a conversation about freedom, I don't Mm. think men have the freedom to be who they want to be in the world. And Hmm. if it is a conversation that's about freedom, it's actually not about taking away the tools. It's about expanding the amount of tools that you have. Yeah. Giving men tools that they can be emotional, giving men tools to be tender, giving men tools to be communicative. Yes. And that, you know, something I heard over and over again from a lot of the men that I spoke to was I'm either angry or I'm not. Th- those are my two states, right? That yes. if I if I'm 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 either angry and that that's an emotion I know and I can express and 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 I know what it's like and what's going through my body, or I don't know yeah. what's going through well, my body. I then, am totally yeah. disconnected from it. And then you end up being a man who needs to turn everything that's not happiness into anger. Yes. Confusion becomes anger. Confu- Sadness exactly. becomes anger. Exactly. All of this rejection becomes, becomes anger. anger. Yes. One hundred percent. And there are certain things that men uh, are feeling that they don't even know that that that, that, that they don't have the, the the words or language to necessarily be able to even acknowledge. And one of those things is is in, in in sex. I think a lot something that came up a lot for me in my research, and I know it's come up with Brene Brown, who does a lot of research ar- around shame, is men feeling rejected during sex. Mm. Like if like, we have again this ideal of masculinity is not only that you get laid all the, you know the more you get laid the better, mm-hmm. um, but that that is your value in the world that like you are. That's how you prove your masculinity. So if you are rejected by by a woman or by a person, mm-hmm. um, but it particularly came, c- comes out in straight couples, that when their their wife or their girlfriend doesn't want to have sex with them, they perceive it as a rejection and it makes them sad, but they don't know how to express that. Mm. And that was something that was even challenging for me to think about. Mm. If you don't, if you're not able to say that, mm-hmm. if you feel shame in that moment, mm-hmm. if you feel shame and you uh, respond to that with silence, mm. um, that shame is going to grow. Yeah. And that shame is going to come out in another way. Well, you have this term for it in the book. You call it the male shame spiral. Yeah. 
Describe that for our listeners briefly. Well, well, so first of all, there's a difference between the way that women tend to experience shame and men experience shame. Mm -hmm. This is research from Brene Brown. Uh, Women, the shame that women have, which you you probably have heard about because we talk a lot about it, is like, I'm not perfect, Mm -hmm. right? That women have this uh, ideal of perfection, whether Mm -hmm. it's their body has to be perfect and look a certain way. They have to be the perfect coworker, the perfect mother, right? All these things. Men... It's a little bit different. And again, these are generalized, you know, but there it's pretty clear in the data uh, for men. It's weakness. Mm. Like men cannot show weakness. Mm. Not only can you not show it, you don't have it. <laughs> and if you have it, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And that occurs. That socialization starts so early. I mean, you ask parents who uh, and mothers who have children and their babies who are growing mm-hmm. these you know human beings and you if a mother knows that the that it's a male fetus she will believe and 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 say to the researcher that he moves more that he's really? more aggressive right like these things start in utero oh there's already and then you come out in the world and and there's already there's a script there's mm-hmm. a microphone and there's a teleprompter, and it's yeah. telling you what to do and what to say. That and one if wore you pink. Don't that s- one wears blue. That yes. one gets Barbies. That yes. one gets GI Joes. Yes. And if you want Barbies, you're wearing a dress. No, boys don't do that. Mm-hmm. Boys don't cry. Boys don't do this. Mm-hmm. We don't think about the, how screwed up it is mm-hmm. that most parents. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you go out in, if I were to go out in Times Square right now, and I would ask parents. If they saw their boy play, they would be more worried about their their son playing with the toy doll Mm -hmm. than a toy gun, which means that we are more comfortable (sighs) seeing boys play with something that kills than something that cries. Mm. And and then we wonder why we we have all of these issues and then we essentialize it. We Uh basically, you know, to come back to the shame spiral, you're not supposed to be weak. There's something wrong with you. So then Mm -hmm. you correct it. And Mm -hmm. then by correcting it, you then, of course, you're going to feel weak. Of course, you're going to feel vulnerable because you're a human being in the world. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And and you're going to feel those things. And then you're going to think there's something wrong with me because I'm feeling it. So you're going to engage. It it feeds the shame. Which interview with any of the men in the book uh, or that led to a part of the book, any of the conversations with men for this book, which one was the hardest and why? Retea Parsons' dad, uh, okay. I think, was the the most difficult, was definitely the most difficult interview for me. Okay. Um, and Retea Parson, uh, for those who, who, who might not know, is a young girl who uh, at the age of, you know, was she was a teenager and she went to a party. She was gang raped at the party. And a photo of her was taken. Very graphic, uh, very horrible, uh, v- very horrible story of then uh, bullying, not of the boys who did the gang rape and who took that photo and who shared it, but of her mm. uh, at her school, oh and she ended up committing suicide. And her father um, became, I'm going to start, uh, it's just even hard mm. to talk about okay. it, but yeah. he, her father basically became an overnight um, advocate for uh, against violence against women. Mm -hmm. And he has for the last few years just, yeah, done a lot of speaking and a lot of incredible activism uh, trying to get men and boys to really pay attention to this issue. And it is such a... 
it is such a hard it was it, it was such a hard interview because he one of the first things he he said to me was you know I, i'm urging men and boys to do something about it because I, it's too late it, it's like too yeah. late for me right like i i lost her and and i didn't do anything while yeah. she was alive and now it and and i'm going to i'm going to keep doing it but it's too late anyways um mm. that to me was like that sounds like a hard one yeah and um and it's a and and he'd been a violent he'd been a victim of sexual assault when he was young oh, his uncle no. molested him and he said he never talked about it before uh. she died wow right so there's yeah. this shared um Shared trauma. Shared trauma, exactly. And this is what we miss when we don't allow men yeah. to speak about these things. Yeah. And we think, again, we limit the potential, I think, of these conversations and we limit the impact mm. of these conversations, right? What could have happened? How different could the world look like if we all were on the same team about this? If, yeah. Instead of seeing this as... Women versus men, girls versus boys. We saw it as men plus women, yeah, and gender non-binary people versus people who you know support uh, violence, yeah. which is a very small you know uh, fraction of the population. Or versus systems that might oppress us. Yes, you know that exactly. Yeah, it, that yeah. yes, it's all connected. It's all connected. What what do men who pick up your book and read it tell you? I'm sure you've heard from men that have read this book. I have been told uh, by several men that this book offered them a language to talk about something that they had never been able to talk about, let mm. alone even be able to engage with uh, with themselves, right? So mm. th that to me is the best gift that I could think of and, and, and ultimately what I wanted this book to create like that's the best case scenario um so yeah. so to yeah for me it's been really encouraging because i especially was told like men don't buy books men won't buy this book it was actually a really hard book to sell really and so it's been very very heartening for men like you to talk to me about <laughs> this book and and for who it resonated yeah. um and what i'm excited about is is there being more of a market for this and oh, totally. for for people for for all kinds of men this is i mean the tip tip of the iceberg yeah, i love absolutely. it yeah. what has changed most for you in the way that you see men mm. or interact with men since writing this book that's a great question um I have had so much better relationships with men hmm. because I have empathy for them. It makes me have better boundaries okay. because I believe that they can do better. And uh. that doesn't mean I'm going to stick around for your abuse. I'm going to stick around or I'm going to tolerate your bad behavior. Mm. No, 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 mm. no. And actually... I stuck around for m abusive behavior and bad behavior from men more before I wrote mm. this book and before I was interested and, and had empathy for men yeah. because I bought into the idea that men are inherently evil, that yeah. men are inherently worse. Like dumb and evil. Like dumb, evil and yes. don't even know how to fix it. 
Exactly. Yeah. They're just penis brain. <laughs> I lay out all these lies we tell about men, right? It's, it's, it's testosterone. Yeah. They're just wired that way. Uh-huh. No, they're not. The brain is a unisex organ. To say that men are wired a certain way is so insulting. Yeah. It is so yeah. insulting yeah. to men and to women who have to live with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made me, yeah, it made me have higher standards. Having empathy for men made me have higher standards for them because I believe in the best in them. Oh, my goodness. Liz, thank you for this oh, conversation. Thank you, Sam. This I'm, was so great. This was delightful. The book is called For the Love of Men. I am going to walk out of this studio, put on my tote bag, tote bag. <laughs> and embrace all of me. And the women around you are going to be so happy that you're yes. not asking them for gum. You have the gum. <laughs> I have the gum. I there have we the go. chapstick. I have See? the phone charger. See? Women win. Yes. When, men, <laughs> when we are interested in men. Yes. Um, thank, oh, you so thank you I'm so much. I'm such a big much. fan. Likewise. And uh, I'm really, I feel really privileged to have had this conversation oh, with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks again to Liz Plank. Her new book is out now. It is called For the Love of Men, A New Vision for Mindful Masculinity. Liz, I appreciate you. Go follow her work at Vox Media. Also follow her on Twitter. Also follow her on TikTok. She's very good with TikTok. Very, very good at that. All right, listeners, hope you had a great Thanksgiving, by the way. We are back with you on Friday for our regular wrap of the news and the culture of the week. Don't forget, as always, to send us the best things that have happened to you all week. Just record yourself on your phone and send that voice file to me at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. If you feel so inclined, please do include some of your Thanksgiving survival stories. I know you got some. I know you got some. Okay. Thank you all for listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Talk soon.